Well, I was feeling like spring was here, and I was going out and riding my bike and feeling like, okay, we're into March now. It's over. But unfortunately, yeah, winter, winter's back a little bit. We're sitting here looking like, out the window at some... I'd, I'd say that was the biggest blizzard of the whole winter yeah. yesterday. It was... It was a ton. And, and the wind leading up to it was just, like, there was nothing you could do. Um, I was going to go on and take Rusty on a big hike yesterday, and it was just so windy. It just didn't seem fun. I think when it's that, like, wind, I think wind is, like, the. I, I'd much rather ride in almost anything else. Oh, when I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of the wind. I was always worried it like, make my house blow over or something like you see in the... Not made for the Midwest, Dan, huh? Not really. Tornadoes. Tornado. Have you ever seen like the videos of like the giant tornadoes that they get out in like the Midwest and stuff? Yeah, it's crazy. I know we're all going to die in an earthquake someday, but like I feel like an earthquake is less scary than a tornado. Yeah, but but yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so, winter's back. Of, <laughs> I zwifted right before this. Yeah, I did. A, I did a three hours zwift yesterday, which actually was I enjoyed it. I don't know, man. I think the only way I can zwift for longer than about an hour is if it's with the Mabert group. Hour and a half, of, and an hour and a half of Maybird's whiffing feels like a marathon to me. Yeah, it's long. You know, granted, like riding up up front with uh, with some of the with some of the guys we've got is you know makes yeah. it feel like an eternity. But I just watched some good shows while I did it. Just some M- MTV. Well, well, yeah, a little YouTube, Netflix. It was fun. Okay. So I have no. Oh, I actually hang on. I have news. There's news. Oh, news. Bike racing started again. So there's news again. Uh, for all of our professional cyclocross fans, I'm sorry. I didn't see fit to like keep people up to date with this professional cyclocross uh, racing. But road racing's back. There's been a little bit of racing in the Middle East. I don't think people are super interested in. Um, but we had uh, Omloop. We had Kerner Brussels Kerna. And then notably, we had Strada Bianca, which is like the coolest race of the year. That's the one on like the white gravel roads through Tuscany that finishes in Siena up that crazy hill and then into that plaza. And um, if you haven't had a chance to watch yet, spoilers. No, I, yeah, I haven't yet. Dan hasn't. But um, impressive win by Lada Kopecky and the women's. But the big story is Tadej Pogacar going solo, 85 Ks from the finish. Whoa. And just there was an interview with Tom Pidcock after where he was like, he was like, he, he, like, he said he made us look like juniors. Like he's like, I felt wow. like I was in the Gruppetto trying to catch him. Like Mr. Zone two, just yeah. tearing it up. Wow. Just, and like, like a dominant win on the level that like, uh, Matthew Vanderpool went on, um, Twitter and like commented under like the big news article about it. He just said like, uh Oh, or something like that. Like he's, and P- Pogachar is going this season. Well, actually here's bring back a little quiz. Dan, what is the big thing Pogachar is trying to do? This season that I don't think has been done since Merckx or maybe Pantani. Win all four of the classics. There's so okay. So that <laughs> will take a long time to explain all the reasons that that answer is wrong. No, he's going to try to win both the Giro and the Tour in the same year. Okay, he's going for the Giro Tour double. Now, I'm a hater, even for Pogacar. I don't. I don't think he's how not, far apart are they? Like, not that far apart. Like three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could kind of be in the same block of fitness for both, but I still think that Vingago is probably unbeatable in the tour. You know, like if it was, if we were just talking about the tour, Pogacar is still probably not my favorite. And to envision him winning, he'll, he'll win the Giro. If he does the Giro, he'll win it, barring a crash or some other issue. Seeing him winning the tour after that, I'm going to come out, I'm going to be a hater and say I don't, I don't think it's doable. The last person to try it was Naira Quintana. 
and he didn't even come close. He didn't win either. Um, but yeah, hmm. that, that'll be interesting. Um, other than that, I, I do have a few <clears throat> announcements. Yeah. Um, Closer to home announcements. Yeah. Uh, oh, were, were you, did you have more news that I cut you off? No, no, no. I oh, think okay, I'm trying sorry. to think that's, I mean, that's the big stuff. I mean, we had like, I mean, if you're that into like omelet or current, I think you already know who won. And if uh, you don't know who won, you don't care enough. I love making an omelet every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Dan, laugh it up, Chuckles. Okay. Actually, I haven't had an omelet for a long time. That sounds good. It does. Just have omelets after this. I might go make me an omelet after this. Okay. Closer um, to home news. Anyhow. So yeah, we do, we do have some announcements. So for coaches, um, We've got some coach training coming up. The So this Thursday, hang on, let me look at my team snap because that's where we find out these things. Oh, yeah, this Thursday from 5 to 7 is going to be the skills training for coaches. Yes. No, this training, um, Bo Foreman's going to teach it. He's going to teach our hinging. You just kind of do a hinging review and go over some just quick cornering and and breaking technique with an emphasis on hinging, which is kind of the foundation for all skills. And um, and the, the purpose of this clinic is for our youth coaches who are going to be teaching their own clinics. Bo's basically going to be helping you be able to teach your own clinics is kind of the purpose for it. So it's especially for youth coaches, but any other coaches that would like to attend are welcome to. But it's mandatory for youth coaches. I kind of think all coaches, if you can, you should come to this. It's, it's yeah, good I mean, we don't want it to be too crowded. And if you, you know, and if you're not going to be like a lot of the older groups, we're going to have like Xander and Dawson and yeah. Bo come to do the clinics. So, um, but yeah, if you'd like to come, you're welcome. So, because yeah, really hinging is kind of the, the foundation of almost pretty much all mountain bike skills. And I was actually thinking of something kind of funny as I was putting that in my notes. I, like when I did the, the Maybird applications and had the people talk about like what's the most technical thing they could ride, um, which we kind of joke about that question all the time, you know, how the boys give like the, these bogus answers that yeah. are far from true. And the girls right, are yeah. usually pretty, their girls' answers are usually pretty Pretty good. conservative. Yeah. We did have, um, I, there was one answer I just loved, like it was Nora Johnson's. Her, her response was, well, I have a pretty good hinge, which, yeah, that was... Shout a, out, Nora. That's that a good was, one. That was awesome. That's pretty so, funny. Uh, yeah, so that is, that's going to be this Thursday the 7th from 5 to 7. Where will that be? Uh, just at Shoreline Rotary. Shoreline Rotary. Okay, the yeah. park right at the mouth of immigration. Correct, yes. And then um, for our coach first aid training, Tiffany Gregory, who's just been so awesome to help us with this does such a great job she actually kind of requested this year that we she would rather the group be smaller Mm -hmm. and so a little smaller and more interactive and so she really wants it mostly to be like our youth coaches that attend this and so we're not going to make it required for anyone that that has NICA first aid certification yeah Um, either or but you, you still can come if you, you know, like I forget first aid every single year. I like to be reminded as much as possible. I'm going to go, but really this is going to only be required for our youth coaches and those that don't have NICA first aid training. So we'll piggyback off the NICA first aid training. Um, but that's coming up the 28th, which is a Thursday from 630 to 730. So it's on your 
coaches team snap um, team. So that you should be able to see that there. Oh, also throw out background checks for anybody who's not, if you don't have a NICA background check, like an up-to-date NICA background check, make sure that gets done too. Now and I think most of the coaches have, have done their safe sport training. Um, if you haven't yet, just, you know, hurry and get that done. Um, another thing along with that too is parents, if, you're, if your kid is in a group with youth coaches, um, just help make sure that those coaches have enough, but not too much help, but have at least a, an adult that can ride along with those with those younger groups in case something goes wrong. I think most groups are pretty well covered. Um, it seems like our, our blue boys needed a little bit of help. It, it's funny. I've noticed that like, like a lot of our girls teams have tons of dads willing to help. A lot of the guys teams don't have quite as many. So, um, so yeah, make, make sure that let's make sure that we kind of help our youth coaches out, make sure there's enough, parents that are there not to take over or run the show because yeah, again we, we we want we want to give kids a chance to step up and have some good leadership yeah. but you know just um, there in case something bad happens or, or a lot of times it's because one kid's fallen behind and can't keep up with the group and and that kind of stuff so so that's all i have on that i do want to um i do want to remind everyone that we've got well first of all most of the races that we're going to be doing that, that Maybird will have some kind of presence at are in Team Snap. Go through, plan your schedule, plan your season, mark which ones you're thinking about coming to. And we, you can update it as the season goes by. But um, I really do want to encourage people to participate in the iCup series. Oh, yeah. Um, I was in a, I've been in several USAC meetings lately and um, USA Cycling has this dream of one day being able to, and this is like a 10-year big, huge dream of theirs, is to one day have like quality regional races where good competition shows up. And, and you know, they were describing all this. And what they were describing is their was dream. It, was an ICUP. In 10 years is basically what ICUP is already doing. Um, so they're way ahead of the curve on, on regional racing. And I, I really think it's good enough to be a model for other regions in the nations. You know, they're good enough that it's worth traveling from other States to do. Yeah. You're, uh, you're definitely not too good for them. I can, I can tell you that. Like, you know, we, I mean, there's like world-class competition shows. Yeah, they're, icons, and and they're in fun locations. They're great courses. They're oh, yeah. a little more technical than NICA courses. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're, if you're looking down the barrel of NICA this season, you're like, oh no, I'm kind of nervous. This is new to me. Do some iCups, man. Like it'll, if you, yeah, it'll yeah, make NICA easier. It'll make NICA easier. Yeah. yeah. So let's really support those and, and plan on doing, you know, I think usually for most people racing once a month is a pretty good, pretty yeah, good amount, you know, I just, think so. Cause racing's a skill mm-hmm. and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it and you kind of refine your race craft a little bit and it's a good workout too i mean that's the main reason i do it is it's just kind of for like i'm a guy that only likes to ride low intensity so it forces me out of my comfort zone a little bit like if you have a lot of race anxiety do some more racing yeah you know like in parents if if like your kid if if like they did nika last year and every single nika race was just this psychologically tormenting thing for them and it was really freaking them out like (laughs) I cups are very chill. They feel like less pressure than Nike races, 
You know, because like Nike races, you've got the whole tent city and everything, and iCups feel a little more like. I mean, you still have some tents, and you still have some. It's still as competitive as you want it to be. I mean, there are people who show up to iCups and and die a thousand deaths out on the course for an hour and a half, but you know, um, and it's not. But it's. I also love that it's not like one of those races where people show up in tutus and stuff. Like it's a serious bike race. People are there to like get better and stuff. Yeah, because tutus aren't arrow. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, that was such a quirky, funny thing to do ten years ago. And now it's like, oh, man, like that's, I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, yeah like definitely yep. do. Uh, the first iCup will be... March 23rd. March 23rd, so like the end of this month. Yeah, um, and Joe will be supporting that one. I, will be, will, be I will be the race dad there. Um, there uh, True Grid is another one I want to throw out. True Grid is the weekend before that. And I think that's long since sold out. But No, I, I think I got it. Well, I was bringing it up because I think I saw an email this morning that was saying like there are a few spots left. Are there really? Uh, let me pull up this email because I, I thought I saw that this Maybe morning. Maybe I should hurry and sign up. Yeah, I think um, if you can, that... Sign up if it's not too late. We'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find my phone somewhere before the end of the episode and update you. Okay. But, yeah. But one thing, um, I just want to do a quick shout out. Uh, so this... What was it Friday night? Like a lot of our teams are having little get-togethers and, and meetups, and I'm just so pleased and happy with the wonderful people we have coaching our groups, and just feel so lucky to have such good, awesome people running these groups. And um, Friday night, I I went to a party, a get-together party for the Purple Girls, and this this group is just they're just the best. Like the coaches. Um, like Don Hinks, Donald Hinks, isn't he just about one of the neatest people you'll ever meet? I love Donald Hinks, man. First he's of all, I mostly favorite. just like to listen to him talk. Oh yeah. Cause he says like cute little British words a lot of the times. And, um, but he is just so on the ball and just plans really good activities and just, just such a, such a great guy. And, and Amy Finch, who is just cool and fun and, you know, she doesn't have any kids Riding Maybird, but she has worked with that team for like just years and years and years, and just so awesome to the girls. and And Tyler Harvey at the party was just super fun. He is a cool guy. He like he had like just some of the most fun games. and And, and the whole time I'm realizing, you know what? I need to be a more fun, cool person when I was seeing how cool Tyler was. and And Wayne Staker let us have it at his house, and they had like pie pizza and ice cream and it was just such an awesome night. And I just want to thank them for the good work they do with those girls. And it was funny because a lot of these girls in that group just keep requesting to be put back in that group over and over again, just because it's kind of become a little bit of a family. So, um, shout out to all of those guys. Thanks for all you do. And, um, I'm excited to, to ride with, with that group occasionally. And, but yeah, that's pretty much all I have. So this email that I got this morning, it was like the wave assignment email, and it says, Hey, Joe Draper, with only a few spaces left in the 2024 edition of the True Good Epic, we were a little ahead of ourselves, assigned your waves early. They're saying a few spaces left. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting, because I thought that would have sold out, but it's, I think you could accommodate like a huge number of people at an event like that. Yeah. So it, as of this recording, or as of what, when did this come in, you know, like midnight last night, they said they had openings, so... Hmm. Throw yourself in there. Maybe yeah, I'll fun. be down there anyway. I might. You may. That. I mean, you may as well do. It's a super. If you're not familiar, I think we've talked about it a few times. It's. I think it's like. It's kind of like a mini point to point in St. George. You know, 
like diet point to point in the spring. Diet point to point. <laughs> you know, like that. but it's really fun. It's it's forty five ish miles. Uh, it takes in a lot of the coolest stuff out in St. George. You get to ride Zen. It finishes on like the rim rock and barrel roll stuff. Tons of like Stuky. Um, it's a difficult race, relatively long. You know, I think most people take probably five or six hours. I think somewhere in that. You know, so definitely not as hard as point to point. But I think if you're like. You know, if you're thinking like Leadville, point to point, you know, like Crusher, like thinking the big long events, like this would be a great one, you know, especially like maybe if you're like a dad listening to this and like you want to try some big long mountain bike events and you're mostly a roadie or gravel guy, like this is a great one. Yeah, I know we've got a lot of people doing it, so. And they've got the stage race too, where there's like a, there's the mountain bike race and you can do the gravel race they've got too. I'm just doing the mountain bike race. Um, But yeah, sounds like there's a couple spaces left. So Hmm, maybe maybe go check that out. I'll check that out. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, so for those that like just join us for the first part here, the announcements and stuff, I'm actually super excited about the topic today because I think, um, I think with what we're talking about, I think we're just going to cover like all of the most important, coolest training principles that ultimately, you know, and if you listen to the end, ultimately really apply to, to everybody Um, but I think this is just a really good opportunity to talk about lots of cool stuff. So you want to get us started, Joe? Well, so last night Dan was like, Dan was like, Hey, I need you to get some facts about Norway for the podcast. And I was, I was like, okay, like facts about Norway specifically, like the country Norway. And my prediction, I don't actually know what this, this episode's about. My prediction was that we were going to talk about, like, VO2 max or something, because I think it's true that, like, the three athletes with the highest VO2 maxes ever have been Norwegian or something. Like, I might be pulling that out of my, you know. Um, <laughs> look at me, self-censor. Um, so <laughs> I've, I, I pulled up some interesting facts about Norway. And if you don't know, Norway is a Scandinavian country up, like, it's kind of like if you take like the UK, it's kind of like up above that a little bit to the east. It's that really long, skinny country that kind of looks like a golf club. It's really long and skinny up through the north and down the south. There's kind of a big bulb where all the people live. Um, super cool place. You know, like I've, I've always I've always thought that would be one of the coolest places in the world to go. But here's some fun facts, Dan, okay. about Norway. Norway still has a king, which is kind of unique. It's still a monarchy, which is kind of fun. They've had the same king since the 90s. Uh, Norway has some of the world's longest road tunnels, including, and this is from ChatGPT, so hopefully this isn't made up, um, <laughs> including the Lerdal Tunnel, which stretches over 15 miles, which is kind of crazy, like a 15-mile long, like you could go for a 30-mile bike ride out and back in a tunnel the whole time. Kind of crazy. Wow. Uh, Norway has more electric cars per capita than any other country in the world. Norway um, has gained international attention for its slow TV trend, where hours-long programs like train journeys knitting mar- and knitting marathons captivate viewers. So basically, they will go and they will watch a knitting marathon for like six hours on TV, and they love that. See, that's how you could swift for, for six hours. So that'd be too exciting for you, though. That'd get like get you too pumped up. The older Dan gets, the more boring you know some of the things he's into gets. Uh, let's see if there's any other interesting ones here. Let's see. Oh, here we go. The Midnight Sun Marathon. The Midnight Sun Marathon held in Tromsø is an annual race during the summer solstice where they run, let's see, 
it's like a 24 hour run that's like where the, cause the sun never goes down, right? Mm. Like you're basically running in the sun for 24 hours, which sounds awful. Um, Amy Larkin's probably done it six times. Uh, let's see if there's anything else interesting. They make great s- sweaters. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's all my Norway fact. Cool place though. I'd love to go to Norway someday. Yeah. They produce some really good cyclists. Yeah, they do. And that's, um, that's kind of the, our today's topic is, is, is maybe why they do. So, um, so today I wanted to talk about kind of pyramidal training and the Norwegian training method, which is something that just recently, I don't know if this is just me, but this is like been kind of all the buzz lately. Pyramidal, tra- is that where like well, you get two buddies to train with you and then they get two buddies to train with them yeah. and everybody ends up bankrupt and in jail? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um yeah, it's it's kind of a scheme, you know. But no, but the the Norwegian method has been it's it's kind of been all the rage lately. If you haven't heard of it yet, you will be soon. Oh, okay. Um, so this is like going around like the nerdy trainer circles and forums and Reddit right now, and it's going to kind of come into the general cycle. So like the cool people are going to start knowledge. Yeah, yeah all the, the cool, cool people are going to start hearing. All about the cool it people with fulfilling relationships and hobbies are going to find out about it in two years. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so but lots of recent popularity. It's it's not really a new thing, and it's definitely more popular among like runners and triathletes than. And it's kind of working its way into cycling a little bit. But basically, like, out of all your fun facts about Norway, one thing you didn't mention is the population, mm. which is about 5 million. Okay. Which... That's tiny. Yeah, that's not So a for lot. reference, there are 330 million people in the U.S., and I think there's about 3 million in Utah. Is it really only 5 million? It's like million? 5 point something million. I'm looking this up. Hang on. Carry on. Okay. You don't have to wait for me to look this and, up. Now. And the interesting thing about Norway is they, for that small of a country, they have a really disproportionate amount of world champions, gold medals in, in like running events and triathlon. And Joe's giving me that. 5.5 million people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So really they're based on their size, the amount of world-class athletes they're producing is very disproportionate. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so it's kind of attracted a lot of attention, you know, in, 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 you know, kind of the endurance sports arenas. And Amarius Backen has documented the, tr- the Norwegian training approach. And this has been adopted by, by different um, Norwegian governing sports bodies, like, including the... Um, you know, the, the Norwegian triathlon federation and similar training methods have been incorporated by the Ingerbritsen brothers. I don't know if I said that right. Have you heard of them? Like the one I've heard that name before. Yeah. It's like a family that's like super fast from Norway. And, um, Jacob has like the, he's the 1500 meter champion. And so, so yeah, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, but a couple of things is, is one is that really there's not a whole lot that you're going to learn today that's like really new or flashy. I think it's just really what it is. It's just really good sound principles that are well done. So just kind of as a disclaimer, let me first 
remind everybody that that what we're like the Norwegian method really applies to professional level athletes that this is one of those like don't necessarily try and extrapolate all of these things yeah exactly to you don't yeah the the things like as you read and and hear about what they do if you try to do everything as a non-world-class athlete it's it's not going to go well um for for multiple reasons um this is really kind of elite level training but some of the principles here are very, very valuable and could be applied to your training relatively the easily. Principles, so, not the principles, the not the not duplicating. Yeah. Really quick before we carry on, I looked it up and I was correct. The top three highest VO2 maxes ever recorded are Norwegians. Uh, third and second place are both Norwegian cross country skiers. Bjorn Dala and Espen Harald Bjerka both posted 96, which is unbelievable and the highest ever recorded vo2 mask max was oscar svensson who was an 18 year old cyclist from lillehammer recorded a 97.5 oh my and it's interestingly like enough, I, I read about this kid he burned out of cycling he had a couple of good results and then i think he just had all the pressure on his shoulders of being this superhero and i don't know i don't he's certainly not a professional anymore i don't know mm. how much this guy's writing but yeah all imagine three are, at his birthday he could handle so many candles i know just think he's like blowing for like 20 minutes because that's how vo2 max works um <laughs> but yeah all three being from norway is crazy when 5.5 million people out of what like seven you know eight billion people on earth 5.5 million of them are from this weird little country up there they eat a bunch of pickled herring and stuff and have ridiculously high vo2 maxes huh yeah. hmm yeah so so yeah so again um a lot of the like a lot of these athletes we're talking about they they train over twenty hours a week they have lots of volume it is their job it's their job yeah. and and is is we as we talk more about it there's a lot of resources that they have access to that we don't have access to um, but again there's some really really important principles that we're going to talk about that definitely could benefit us as amateur athletes um, but you know, for, for most of us listening, and I talk about this all the time, like if, if you're only training four hours a week, the Norwegian method's not really going to benefit you the at all. The like, ride more method is going to benefit you. Exactly. You yeah. know, try riding six, eight, ten hours a week. That right there is going to make a night and day difference, whereas some of the things these guys are doing, these guys and girls are doing is is for that like tiny razor's edge marginal gain type difference. I'm so sorry to derail you. And I'm, on top of that, I'm going to ask you to throw all the nuance out the window. Really quick as a principle, at how many hours of training per week can we start talking about things other than just ride more? Because if you're riding an hour a week, the answer is ride more. If you're riding 20 hours a week, the answer isn't necessarily ride more. How much do you have to be riding before like other things really start to be like, let's really dive into like other, you know, because like we just said, like if you're riding four hours a week, any kind of riding on top of that is going to be great. How much, how much do you have to be riding? Like if you're riding under this amount per week, just ride more. I would say probably, um, probably about eight. Eight, eight hours a week, which is, which is four, two hour rides a week. Most people, even most people in NICA are riding less than that. Yeah. Okay. And, and honestly, a lot of people that do time crunch training programs, consider eight hours a week time crunched yeah which is i kind of hear that i'm like whoa i know a lot of people that <clears throat> yeah that go on one ride a week and that's two hours of, of tra- yeah so which- yeah before anything else before we dive into this especially just remember 
if you're under eight hours a week, ride more. Yeah. Turn off the podcast, go do something else and come back when we're, you know, but yeah. I mean, I, I can think of some things you could do that would be harmful and Sure. You can mess yourself up in that amount of time. But like, and again, we're throwing That'd nuance out the window. podcast is how to mess yourself up in under eight hours a week. How to, what's, what's the, how to, I'll let you teach that one. Oh, <laughs> anyway, let's race sometime. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah. Okay. But for these, these are good principles to understand either way. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so definitely more volume is usually the answer for most of us, but, but before we even start talking about the Norwegian method, I, I think that we have to review a lot of principles for it to make sense. And then when I actually talk about the Norwegian method, it's not going to take very much time. Most of this podcast is going to be just kind of building us up to that. So, um, so we're going to start out with a review. And a lot of the stuff I'm going to review is stuff we've talked about previously. Um, just super, super important to understand is your kind of baseline aerobic training knowledge. But so first of all, like, as you guys all know, um, coaches have come up with kind of a somewhat arbitrary five to seven zone model that kind of is used to communicate and des describe intensity. Right. Right. Okay. You know, like right in zone two or we're going to ride in zone five or something. And you kind of know. You hear people talk about those all the time. Yeah. Not always correctly. Yeah. A, a lot of, like I say, somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. No. You know, sports physiologists, especially outside of the U.S., um, tend to only talk about three different zones. And in these, like, when you understand these three zones, they actually make more sense because these zones are actually measured by something that's um, based on your physiology, not just kind of random power outputs or, or so forth. And, and these... And, and basically, just think of it, these three zones are low intensity, moderate intensity, and high intensity. Super easy, right? So they're, they're based on two actual physiological thresholds. And, and these, are, <clears throat> these thresholds are, are measured by, like, by lactate, which is we've talked a little bit about lactate in the past. It's basically a byproduct of glycolysis that is a really good indicator of how much internal stress your body's under when it's exercising. So if you guys have ever seen like like the pricking of the ear, you know, like you see if, like a pro will post themselves in a lab with a big mask on and they go super, super hard and then someone pricks their ear. Or like a lot of uh, big world tour teams are doing their training camps right now and they'll post some guy waiting at the top of the hill and the riders will show up and they'll prick their ear really quick. Mm -hmm. Like explain what's going on there, Dan, because I think a lot of people see that and wonder what the heck that is. Yeah, they're basically like they're pricking the ear, they're using test strips, they're getting some blood samples and they're putting it in a little machine that measures how many millimole of lactate that athlete's producing at that intensity and it's probably the best way that we have to really know like the metabolic stress that the body's going under at a given time in training. So, so to just take an extra minute on this, because I think a lot of people, especially a lot of new listeners might hear people talk about like, oh, I feel a lot of lactate in my legs or this clears out lactate. Like we talk about lactate or lactic acid a lot. Um, when that guy is it when that when that sports director or not probably not a sports director but when that team physio or something is like 
pricking their ear at the top of the climb. If he sees a high number, what is he thinking? If he sees a low number, what is he thinking? Like, what does that number actually mean in terms of like you as a person and as an athlete? Well, it just basically describes kind of what you're doing to produce energy. Okay. Um, and, and lactate, it's, it's not like a, and we really haven't done a whole episode on lactate yet, but we talked about really? it. Really? Yeah. We talk about it all the time. Um, huh. we need to, I guess. Huh? Yeah. And it, it's, it's a byproduct, but it's not like a waste product. It's not a bad thing, but there are like hydrogen ions associated with it that do cause your muscles to become acidic and burn. And, um, so, you know, so if, if, if you get too much in the system, it becomes a problem, but really it's just a really good indicator of how, you know, just like a better indicator than heart rate or power, um, because power is kind of an external indicator, heart rate and lactate are internal indicators of, of what your body's, what kind of stress your body's under. Um, are they hoping to see a high or a low number when they're pricking their ear at the top of that climb? They're, or it, are they just trying to learn something? Like what are they? They're just trying to see where they're at. And let's, um, so let, let's, yeah, let's talk about this first, just a sec. So, um, so as far as lactate goes, there's two thresholds. Okay. Okay. And in the first threshold, they call it LT1. And, and that at LT1, they're only measuring like two millimoles of lactate at that point. Um, and usually like if you're operating below that point, it means you're using all slow twitch muscles and you're mostly utilizing fat as a fuel. And once your intensity goes beyond that, you start recruiting more of your kind of mid twitch fibers. You start producing and, and you start using more carbohydrates. Um, a byproduct of glycolysis is lactate. So the, your, the lactate in your blood at that point is going to increase. Okay. And so at that point, that's kind of a threshold hold where you cross, where you start using more, um, middle and fast twitch muscles and you start using more carbohydrates instead of fat for fuel. So that right there is a threshold. Okay. And, um, and then as the intensity increases, there's another threshold that's usually around four millimoles of lactate where, you know, like when you produce lactate, it's reused by your body as a fuel, but you basically reach a point where you can't utilize anymore and it spills over into your blood and it starts your muscles to become acidic and then like the clock's ticking on how much longer you can go basically. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's your second threshold. Okay. And you know, so, so low intensity they consider is below that first threshold where lactate first starts to tick up. Um, moderate intensity is between those two thresholds and then high intensity is above that threshold. So to help me understand this, Tade Pogachar and I do a climb together at the same pace, and he's going super, super easy, and I'm on the edge of death trying to keep up with him, right? We get to the top, you prick my ear and his ear, my lactate's going to be really high, and his is still going to be really low because his body, he's not having to go that hard, he's burning fat, he's using slow twitch muscles, I'm using the same muscles I'd use in a cyclocross race probably, right? Yeah. Super, like I'm burning only carbohydrates, I'm dying, right? Yeah, his lactate might be around two millimoles, 
And, you know, once you get over the, the second threshold, it goes up really fast. Like you could be like 15 or 20. Oh, wow. You know, oh, okay. So but, it's like an exponential. Like once you yeah. get over that point, you're just, and then again, like the clock's ticking. You can only go so hard for so long before basically your body's running out of gas, right? Yeah. Or it, yeah, it just, um, you're basically just, you're out of balance and it's unsustainable. Okay. You know, um, yeah, so... Not to turn this into a lactate Yeah, episode, I didn't really want to spend that much time on sorry, lactate, sorry, sorry. but no, that's good. Yeah, yeah so, so let's talk... So you've got your, your low, moderate, and high intensity. So we'll talk about low intensity first. Again, this is below that first threshold. Um, your lactate is one to two millimoles. Um, we usually consider this point zone two. And again, you're burning fat, you're using, um, and, and the reason that training at this point's really important, which we've talked about multiple times is, is here you're kind of utilizing fat at its maximum point. Um, you're, you're mostly using slow twitch muscles and as those fatigue, you develop more of them. Um, this is where mitochondria, mitochondria functions increased. Um, the transporters, the MCT1 transporters are developed at this intensity. The kind of the, the increased capillaries and vascularization of our muscles increases at this intensity. And the one thing to point out about this intensity is all of these adaptations prefer time over intensity. You know, like turning up the heat doesn't, make it cook faster in this case you know? like this is why pros train 20 hours a week instead of just training really hard for four hours a week right? yeah yeah there's right. you know if if you want all this good stuff there's really not a shortcut there so 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 that's the low intensity training and that's below that first threshold okay the the middle intensity and that's between the two thresholds you know between the two millimoles of lactate and the four millimoles of lactate um, we usually refer to this as zone three and kind of a five or six zone model. And, and this is where we become more reliant on carbs. We start to use more fast twitch muscles at this point. We're still purely aerobic if, if we're doing a steady effort. You know, if you're doing a steady effort at this intensity, you're still purely aerobic, but you are using carbohydrate for fuel, so it's producing more lactate at this point. And at, at the edge of this threshold, like just below that second threshold, your is kind of the ma your maximum purely aerobic state, and it's also your maximum, like you're clearing the maximum amount of lactate that your body can clear at that point. And this is why we say that like, you said before that like zone three is kind of a bad deal because you're kind of getting the same benefits as zone two, but you're getting, you're, you're acidifying your muscles more. There's like more of a negative impact, right? Well, that, am I, am I, am I, mis, am I misstating that? No, 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 that's good. And Cause that's like a lot of times zone three is vilified. Yeah. Um, because you know, once you kind of cross over into from zone two into lower zone three, you're really still kind of getting the benefits of zone two with just a little bit more stress. Right. It might not be necessary or beneficial. Um, but 
But if you're at the upper end of zone three, where you're closer to that second threshold, there's like gobs of benefits of training Mm. there. So, okay. Yeah. Um, One thing about though, when you cross over that first threshold is, you know, something called autonomic stress kicks in at that point. Mm. And when that switches on, it instantly increases the amount of recovery that's going to be required from that workout. So it's something you really want to switch on and off judiciously and really don't want it switched on for every single ride. Um, so, and I think that's what a lot of people do and, and it's still okay. You know, I mean, you're still going to get faster if you go Oh yeah, out it's a good workout. It. You're burning calories. It's good for your heart, you know. But it's, it's a better practice to only switch it on and off on certain days and when you do switch it on, really switch it on, you know, but, and avoid switching it on, on the other days, so. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of your mid intensity and, and then your high intensity where you're over the four millimoles of lactate when they would procure and measure it. If you're over four millimoles, then you're, that's considered high intensity. And, and at this point, like if you were like below this point, say you're riding steady at like three millimoles of lactate, as long as your power output was steady your lactate would remain at about three millimoles. When you're over this, when you're over this threshold, um, say you were riding steady at like 300 watts, but you're over that threshold. So you keep that at 300 watts, but your lactate is going to just keep going up and up and up, even though your intensity is staying the same. Hmm. So. So uh, above this point, um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about catecholamines. They're kind of like the fight and flight type chemicals. Those increase at above when, when we're training above this intensity. Um, the autonomic stress I mentioned earlier, it's not linear. And it goes, goes up dramatically. I wanted to say dramatically because that's... Dr- drastically and dramatically. I love that word. I want dramatically to be a word. Wasn't that like an early podcast slip up yeah I, I, said, I nailed you on and yeah that's yeah, funny but, okay dramatically yeah. you know so the autonomic stress goes up dramatically after this second threshold um but there's there's definitely some benefits to training at this point this is kind of where you know we get the increased blood volume our stroke volume increases um it, it's beneficial in increasing our VO2 max for those that, that need that developed. Um, and, and this is honestly where you can train to go fast, you know? Um, and so after explaining all this, hopefully that wasn't too much. The thing I want to point out is that training at low, moderate and high intensity, it's all important. It seems like some people are really for kind of one or a couple or the, well, we spend a disproportionate amount of time encouraging people to like do more long, slow rides because people, the people that we know and that we work with don't have a problem going out and riding really hard for an hour. Like Nike kids seem to be kind of hardwired to go out and just like, you know, bleed out of the eyes for an hour and then call it quits. Mm-hmm. But like that, those, and, and, but you know, I bet that if we were like a team of, 
that was mostly coaching like <laughs> 60 year old dudes who are just trying to get back into cycling or whatever, you'd probably be like, Hey, you guys are great at going out on these long rides and going easy. Sometimes you really got to switch it on. We got to go on these rides where you're, you're crushing it. You know, like you need to go into a cross race to do some mountain biking, right? And do some intervals. Or... So it's like, I think that's a good point that these are all like important and they they'll have a place. We just don't have to like the people we're working with are just automatically already doing some of this and we're kind of encouraging them to do the parts that we see that they're not doing. More, right. Yeah. 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 Each one of them has like really important benefits. Each one of them has to be included in your training. The, but the whole art is knowing how and when to include what into right. your training. Yeah. They're, they're tools in your toolbox. You have to know when to use them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's when we talk about like intensity distribution, you know, which is really kind of the art to coaching and training plans. And, you know, it's helping people distribute those three different intensities appropriately. Because like naturally people don't seem to distribute those very well. That's kind of the value of a coach. In a lot I, of I think people kind of have like, like me, I'm probably the most guilt. Like I never do intense writing unless I, right. Get, right. I get forced to against my will. Right, right, right. And like, and like, I think I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I'm, if I'm out riding, I just get bored if I'm going, you know, and so like, I'm always chucking in unnecessarily hard sections for no reason. Mm. And both of us are are wrong. Yeah, we're Um, both wrong. But yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, as far as distributing intensity goes, one thing I do want to reiterate is that like limiting, you know, when we talk about switching on the autonomic stress, which happens just above that first threshold, above that first lactate threshold. Um, you really should limit that to two times a week to help prevent overtraining. Um, and one thing that, that I would add, you know, and, and Joe's mentioned this too, is like, I think a lot of parents, a lot of Nike riders think that every single ride needs to be kind of like a dress rehearsal for a race. And, right. and that mm-hmm. would seem just logical that that would mm-hmm. make sense, but it really... Like our engines aren't built that way. No, it's not like soccer. Like if you're going to play like a scrimmage soccer game, I mean, you don't play that any differently than, you know, like you would a normal soccer game. But like, I think in in like bike racing, you don't want to be simulating bike races all the time. No, that's not how our engines are built up. No. But yeah, so, so we've talked about some popular intensity distribution methods in the past. And just a quick review. The first one and probably the most popular lately is polarized training um has a lot of good science backing it up basically you're either going really easy or really hard yeah 80 percent of the time you're below that first threshold 20 percent of your time your workouts are scheduled above that second threshold and in in strict polarized training you intentionally kind of avoid that middle ground and which works well for a lot of sports, but they've kind of found with cyclists um, that needs to be modified a little bit. Uh, another distribution that, that you hear talked about a lot, and we did a podcast not too long ago about it, it was sweet spot training. And and sweet spot is as a workout option. It's a great thing. But if if you have a training plan where that's kind of the go-to workout and it replaces most of your zone two, then it can be a bad thing. You know, it can be too much. Um, it can, you know, it can, it can get you fast in a short amount of time, but 
quickly, it can get you fast-ish in a short amount of time. Yeah, but it quickly leads to stagnation and, yeah. and can lead to overtraining. Pro so, eye cups aren't won by people who are training that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good tool in a toolbox, but if it's it's what your training plan is... I mean, if you're doing four sweet spot workouts a week, I'd reconsider. It's a, it's a side dish. It's not yeah. an entree. Yeah. So, um, but then the... The last one, which is the one I gravitate to, and, and most of the training I do tends to fall into this camp, and that's pyramidal training, where still 80% of your workouts are low intensity, um, but the remaining 20% are split between moderate intensity and high intensity. Mm. And Contrast that really quick to like the standard polarized model, where 80%... Is the, the 80% part's the same. The 80% your 20% is the you said is split between moderate and high intensity. Yeah, whereas strict polarized, you would avoid that middle ground. So you're not touching moderate With at all. With pyramidal, you're you're including, you know, some of that 20%, maybe it's 10% moderate, 10% high intensity, mm-hmm. but you're intentionally You're pulling the moderate lever though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some of your hard workouts are actually moderate. So what's your argument for that? versus the kind of conventional polarized model. My, my argument for that is kind of like we talked about just a second ago where when you're training at upper moderate intensities, you're at your maximum amount. Your body can produce energy in a purely aerobic state. And you're also, you know, you're also shuttling lactate at, at like a, at, at its maximum level. And you're also... That you're also recruiting a high amount of muscle fibers without without like incurring as much stress as you would if you go into the high intensity cat you know if you go above that second threshold so you're basically doing a lot of work getting a lot of adaptations without inducing a lot of stress so you can tend to do more work at that level and than you can if you go above it. So, okay. Lo- yeah, so there are really lots of good reasons to train at that point. Um, but still, most of the magic's going to happen on that 80% low intensity. And then kind of how you distribute the rest. Both works really well. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's really good science to back up. Lots, like loads of science to back up polarized training. Um, but there's also some good science to to back up some sub-threshold training. So, and again, this is I, an argument between you're kind of contending like better and best where a lot of people aren't even in good yet because they're not even doing that 80%, right? This is, you're basically talking to someone who's already doing the 80% and is wondering how to maximize, you know, figure out the 20% here basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, it's a, it's a pretty subtle hair splitting difference between yeah. polarized and pyramidal as long as you understand that the majority of that training really should come from low intensity. So, so yeah, wow. We haven't even started talking about the Norwegian method yet. I was going to say, we're, this is like way too much lead. Sorry, that whole lactate conversation was, was probably overkill. But I, uh, you know, I mean, even for me, I was just sitting here like, I need a review on this. I don't remember this well enough. We can make this a two-parter if we need time. Huh? No, no, I think we're good. Because really, the, the whole Norwegian method really, I don't think, is going to take a whole lot of time to explain. Okay. Um, but, so I imagine, I... I I mentioned Marius Backen, who's the one that kind of wrote up the program and and 
has, has kind of brought it to light. And I would describe the Norwegian method as like strict pyramidal or kind of orthodox pyramidal. Oh, okay. It, it really is like pyramidal training in its purest form, um, which is why it interests me so much. And the interesting thing about this for the Norwegians is that like athletes that do like, I guess the 1500 meter um, that Jacob Ingerbritsen or whatever his name is, that he's the champion of, that's like a three, like around a three minute event. And also they've got like world champion triathletes and that I don't know how many hours those like those events are measured in multiple hours. Um, they use a very like the majority of their training is very very similar. Like basically, really? anything above three minutes uses a very similar training method to events really? that are multiple hours. Because anything hmm. above three minutes is still purely aerobic with some. Yeah, anaerobic. you can't be anaerobic for five minutes. Yeah, with some anaerobic contributions. If you can do it for five minutes, it wasn't anaerobic, basically, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's amazing how similar their training is, even though those events are completely different. And, and that's because really this Norwegian method is majorly focusing on engine building and not as much specificity. Hmm. And we've kind of had that podcast a little while ago where, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are kind of like really, really preach specificity and, you know, and other people kind of talk about like engine building and really it's a, a balance of both of them. But I, I think understanding the Norwegian method really, really falls in the camp of the importance of engine building with a little bit of specificity sprinkled in. Um, so let's, let's talk about the components um, of, and, and there's basically three components to the Norwegian method that we're going to talk about. Um, and what's a phrase like when, when you reinvent the wheel, it's still a wheel kind of thing. Right. There's nothing here that's, that's too new other than one thing that's kind of interesting that's, that gets most of its attention. But we're, we're not telling you like you got to spread some peanut butter and jam on your forehead and then go do it and it works better. Like this is like, it's not groundbreaking, yeah. you know? So the first component of the Norwegian method is lots of volume. Surprise. Surprise. Yeah, yeah there we go. Like 80 to 90% of their training is done in at one or two millimoles of lactate. Um, like it's, it's very high volume. Like most of these athletes we talk about, they do over a hundred mile. And, and again, it's mostly refers to like runners and triathletes, but most of these runners do over a hundred miles a week of low intensity running. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's, that's cr over a hundred miles a week. Yeah. And of low intensity running is because, insane. Because they're, um, like I said, they're really invested in building up the infrastructure that makes you a better athlete. Um, and I was kind of thinking about it. Like I was thinking of like a, of a, uh, like we, a tortured metaphor as we like to call mm, them. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about Delta, Utah. Like I've never been to Delta, Utah, but I imagine it's a pretty small town. Like Delta, Utah probably couldn't handle in two years, if a million people moved there. Sure. 
Yeah, it would just be a disaster right. if a million people tried to move there. Yeah, there's not going to be enough water. The sewer's going to back up. No one's going to be able to get around. There's not going to be enough food. Yeah, like what they would have to do if they knew that like a million people were going to be moving there in the next few years, they'd have to build some more roads. Like if they announced that the 2030 Olympics are going to be in Delta, Utah, they'd have to do some work. Yeah, they'd have to build some roads. They'd have to like make a freeway. They'd have to bring in, have more water available. Right. They would have to, um, they'd have to build some Cafe Rios. Shout out. There we go. Not Um, sponsored. (laughs) And in order to prepare for that, influx of people to whereas if like los angeles a million people are going to move there it could handle it it could handle it right okay you know and and this is the reason we do low intensity training you know it it doesn't have the same get rich quick benefits that high intensity training does but it it prepares you so you can handle more fitness and become a better lifetime athlete you know it's a um I mean, I would argue, like, it really kind of sets you up for future success, but I would argue that it also sets you up for short-term success because, Hmm. you know, because if you do your low-intensity training correctly, it pairs really nicely with high-intensity training. Hmm. If you do it incorrectly, which, aka, too hard, it doesn't pair very nicely with with hard training in intervals. So I think there's some short-term benefits there, too. But one thing about... um, about the Norwegians is they really emphasize this in their youth athletes. You know, they're more concerned with their youth athletes developing some of this infrastructure so that they can, when they're, when they're in their twenties and their thirties, they, they have more potential as athletes. Right. Rather than just like focusing on speed from a young age, you know, burn them out when they're 22. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I, I do think that most Nike riders, most Nike parents that I deal with, they are all about the, the get fast quick method. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I get that because like you can see the results in a month or two. Right. You know, and, and you associate that with it working, but what ramifications does it have like in two or three years? It's like years? you're a financial planner telling someone they should invest in index funds and not Bitcoin. And like, oh, maybe I'm going to stir the pot here a little bit. But like, are there some people who are going to get rich quick and be able to buy a Lambo with Bitcoin? Sure. Are there people who are going to build like generational wealth with it? Probably not. Right? Is it the same kind of thing where it's like, sure, there might be, you know, that kind of short term, like, oh my gosh, well, look at all these gains. But like, it's like over the long term, it's not. Yeah. I you mean, know? if you if you want to get fast over the long term, doing this, this volume is just critical. Got it. Yeah. So... It's the um, same message every single podcast, guys. I know, I know it's I the know. same. It's the joke because remember that episode we do? It was called like "Who's the villain behind the Scooby Doo mask?" Like every single time, it's 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 like the answer is I don't know. Probably ride more and then make sure you're riding at the right intensity. Yeah. Is well, yeah. but that's just the first component, right? Which is the least sexy of the the two, the three. And and again, to my point earlier, most people aren't even doing that. So like, start doing that. Once you are doing that, moving on to section two yeah. is the interesting it, part. And here, I right? worry that this is the sexy part that people are going to like latch onto and start doing. Right. And it won't be nearly as effective unless. Like people learning how to, it's like people are really excited to learn how to decorate a cake when they don't know how to bake one yet. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we Ooh, go. There we Lots go. of good tortured metaphors here. Yeah. So the second component of the Norwegian method, which I think is really interesting and cool and kind of fun to talk about is the double threshold days. Sounds gross. 
Double it, threshold days. Double okay. threshold days. So usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, they will do a threshold workout in the morning and then another threshold workout that same evening. Now, the, the critical thing about these is these are highly, highly controlled threshold workouts. Okay. And by, by threshold, they're called threshold workouts, but they're actually done a good 10% below that second threshold. Okay. And they're controlled by lactate, by actual lactate measuring. Like active in the moment lactate? Is that like a thing? These, so these workouts, they're done on treadmills. They do them on treadmills. Okay. And they have, they have someone there that can measure lactate as they're doing them. Really? And they intentionally keep them usually below three millimole of lactate during these workouts. Okay. Interesting. So that's super controlled. It's, like you're not even doing this out on the road. You're not doing it. On, they do it on a treadmill so they can control the intensity more. Um, and and they, they, they're able to measure the lactate to keep it below three millimole lactate. They're highly controlled. And um, they're in the reason, the reason they're so highly controlled is because they're doing two a day they're trying to fit in a lot more work than most people can do, but they're able to do that because they're really strictly controlling the intensity. Right. And an, another thing to point out about these, these workouts. So basically these workouts, they're about 10% below that, that second threshold, which for, for everyone out there, we know that that's also called sweet spot, which yeah, is nothing new. Right. It's, you know, there's, I love sweet spot because I know that when I do it, I get faster. And when I have other people do it, they get faster. It's, it's a very, very useful tool. Like it can be overdone. Um, but, but the thing is that's different between this and, and sweet spot is this is a highly controlled sweet spot where they're very, very strict about keeping it under that point so they can do they can do more of it because they're keeping it under that point. Um, another thing about these threshold workouts is they always do them in intervals. And usually, like as far as running goes, I don't know how running intervals equate with cycling intervals very well, but the running intervals are usually like six minutes in the morning and three minutes in the evening, or even shorter in the evening. So they do shorter efforts in the evening. I would assume that that. On a bike, this is more like, I would say, kind of a 10-minute sweet spot effort. And then maybe something shorter and a little higher intensity in the evening. Um, but, but doing them as intervals actually helps to, it helps to keep lactate levels lower. And it also helps to reduce muscle fatigue. So by keeping the fatigue lower, they're able to, to squeeze in more work in less time. So... Um, the, no, the reason that they measure lactate rather than just power is because there's measuring internal load is actually measuring the stress that the body is under. It's basically closer to the truth, right? Yeah. And, and well, and the thing is too, is like, um, like if you're measuring power, like say you're measuring 
you're doing an hour hard ride and you measure your power, you're, you're, well, say you're riding at 200 watts for an hour, okay? Mm. Um, the stress on your body at that 200 watts at the first of the hour is totally different than the stress on your body at the end of that hour, even though if you keep your watts at 200 watts. Like, well, the other thing with, with power, too, is that like you can have two rides that are an hour long with an average of 200 watts, and one can be an interval workout, and one can be just riding at 200 watts for an hour. And those will have completely different effects on your body, right? Like power, you have to remember, like, it's like, I think with metrics, too, metrics are tools, kind of like hammers and screwdrivers. They're both useful in the right context, right? That, like, for what we're talking about here, for, like, looking at what is actually happening inside your body, power could be really misleading. If you're looking at how fast a bike's going, power is probably the better, you know, one or to look how at. how well right? you're performing, power's... Right, right, right. Power's the truth when it comes to speed, you know, lactate's probably as close as you can get to the truth when it comes to, like, what's happening on the inside of your body, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's really kind of the gold standard. Um, and, and along with these being so closely monitored, um, so back in, in, his, in his paper, he said, and I'm not quoting this exactly, but he said that overestimating is disastrous. It's basically saying it's better to leave something on the table than knock everything off the table, right? Yeah, because, okay. like... An interesting um, little tidbit here is that if the fatigue that's accumulated um, when you're when you're about ten percent above that second that second threshold is four to five times more fatiguing than what's accumulated at ten percent below. Really? So that's yes. disproportionate, huh? So yeah, if if you're able to stay ten percent below that point you're experiencing four to five times less fatigue hmm. than if you go 10% above that point. Interesting. So, hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the, uh, another thing too, is that these, these double threshold workouts are really kind of considered the key workouts of the Norwegian method. And so they actually adjust the, like those easy workouts we talked about earlier, they really also closely monitor the intensity of those so that these workouts can be done with quality. So, yeah, so I thought that was, I, I think that's kind of an interesting concept. And I think, hmm. too, that like by, you know, by, by putting them, at different times of the day, you still do get recovery between them, but you're limiting, you're still limiting the amount of autonomic stress you're getting to one day, hmm. not spreading it out over multiple days. You know, it's like Interesting. you had a day where you turn on that stress and you do a little bit more work, but rather than just doing it back to back, you space it out by a few hours and apparently you can handle more stress that way. So this is interesting because like this, this, like this is interesting, but it's like you said, it's not groundbreaking. This is all pretty well grounded, like stuff that makes sense based on principles we already understand. Oh yeah. That are already pretty well established, right? Like we're not taking stabs in the dark here. I, right? like, I think the things that make it interesting really and unique is how closely it's monitored. Yeah. Which is because we've talked about like in defense of the trainer, it has its place. Treadmills have their place. You know, it's 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 never the most fun. But if you are if if your goal, you know, if you're like I'm in high school, I have a chance. I have summers off. I have a shot to go and 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 take a really good swing at at winning some races. 
it might be part of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and like we mentioned at the front, I don't think anyone listening could actually duplicate the Norwegian method because no. we don't have... You don't have someone that can prick your ear while you're right, riding right, the right. trainer, you know. But um, it's an in, but it's interesting but to understand as a principle exactly. to to apply, right? Yeah. So I have a question for you. Yes. How far away am I from having my lactate be a field on my Garmin that we can measure in real time? Because that's got. I was just thinking, like, whoever that, that's got to be like every training nerd's dream is to have active in the moment. I I've heard there's been rumblings that it's nearby because we have continuous glucose monitoring yeah which is basically i mean you're you're it's you know it's basically measuring your blood it's measuring your basically in my in my idiot mind i'm like we're already measuring people's blood actively and actually this was a big controversy a year ago like literally to the day uh we did an episode we were talking about stradibianca last year and i think it was Kristen faulkner got third but she was disqualified because she was using an active glucose monitor even though she's not a diabetic right and, and i don't see how that could benefit you during a performance or I, but i unless you're diabetic obviously yeah right but but i mean but like a continuous tech, lactate monitor would be would be game changing on the level of like heart rate or power wouldn't it yeah it would be game changing on the level of power at least wow like yeah it would be and and like I said, that doesn't sound like it's... Like if it came out and was less than a thousand bucks... You'd buy it. I would I would jump on it. I would be so Interesting. into that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that would just bring bring training to like a whole new level. Yeah. Um, yeah. It but can't yeah, be that far off, right? I don't it's, think it's, it's not. I mean, like I, the technology we need to do it isn't like how, space age, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know how accurate it would be or... But, but even if you could get an approximation of it... Hmm. Yeah, it would be it would be definitely interesting for training. You'd prick yourself every ride, I guess. But you no, know. I, I think it would hopefully just be something that would like have some probes that kind of like a continuous glucose monitor that you could just wear. And, oh, because moment of ignorance for me, yeah. continuous glucose monitor. You're not pricking yourself for that. No, they're they're like, yeah, there's like basically you. Which is measuring what's in your blood without actually being in your blood? No, there's something that goes into your skin that is measuring your blood. Like you prick it to get it in there. Oh, okay. So yeah, but anyhow. Anyhow, huh? Okay. Um, yeah. So that those are the double threshold days, which is kind of the fun, sexy part of the whole Norwegian training thing. It's probably the only part people really pay attention to. Right. Um, they probably ignore the whole running hundred miles a week at low intensity. Yeah. You know. Which honestly is going to make just about anyone fast. Oh yeah. No matter what the yeah. other training you do, but the the third part is is their high intensity, mm. which interestingly is a very from a percentage wise a very small part of their training. Um, it's it's still obviously kind of depends on what period of the season you're in, but usually that only happens um, one day a week. If you're in a race block, basically. Wow. So very little of the training is actually high intensity, but it's very potent what they do. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and and the thing to kind of point out is like a lot of pro athletes naturally already have a really high VO2 max. So that really doesn't need to be developed as much as it does in someone that's off the couch or, or an amateur. So I, I think that most of the people listening probably need to do more of that high intensity training than some of these 
ultra elite athletes that seem to mostly respond to volume. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing is just how little of it is actually done in, as high intensity. And, but, but it's definitely part of it because this is where they get the race specificity. You know, this is what's going to separate the, the guy doing the 1500 meters from the, the, the Ironman athlete. Um, but it is definitely a component of it. So, so that's, that's basically it there. You know, it's kind of like we've said, it's nothing too groundbreaking, but I would say like the takeaways that we could apply to us as amateur athletes um, who aren't training 20 hours a week. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously like, I, I guess we can't reiterate this enough. Volume is king. And especially if that volume is controlled and kept at a low intensity, um, there's just, you're just laying the groundwork for awesome things to come. And so I, I would say that's the first takeaway. And then the next thing is, is on the double threshold days. I'm really intrigued by that. But I would think for like an amateur athlete, I would consider trying like one double threshold day a week. So you're getting like, you know, you do a double threshold day once a week. And so the rest of the week can be used towards getting more volume and more recovery and I think that that could be a really, you know, really powerful training thing to try. I think doing two a week sounds pretty excessive for most amateurs, but I think one day a week rather than, you know, you're only turning on the autonomic stress like once during the week. And if you have a race that week, you know, then sure you can do it on that day too. Use a midweek race. Those will start here before too long, um, maybe even, you know. But yeah, maybe just trying to squeeze more high intensity into just one day of your week rather than having it occupy two days of your week would be something interesting for an amateur to try that I can't see any reason why that would not be a good thing. I think pretty um, low risk, high yeah, reward sort of thing. Exactly. Um, but, and I think this whole Norwegian training method really just illustrates the importance of having discipline in our intensities, you know, and, um, you know, that like on our easy days, make them easy on our, on our hard days, make them hard. Um, but not opening up the can of, you know, of the autonomic stress every single day of the week, every time you ride, you know, just using that judiciously. Um, and I definitely don't, don't think hopefully, you know, hopefully there's not some nerdy trainer listening out there that starts over sterilizing their training because a, a lot of these things, it's these, these are people seeking out marginal gains. These are professional athletes, you know? So, yeah. So I, I still think that for amateur athletes, there's enormous benefits in just going on fun group rides you know, and, and just like riding for fun is always going to make you faster. If, you know, if you're, if you're riding below a certain point, you know, yeah. our goal is for you to be healthy, happy, fulfilled people. 
and we think cycling is an excellent, uh, you know, thing to have in your repertoire. Um, professional athletics is its own thing. And I don't think Dan and I have ever like really encouraged you like you should everyone listening to this should really consider racing bikes to pay their mortgage. Like it's that's its own thing. So like that's a good distinction to remember that like don't over sterilize this. We're concerned about you riding your bike in 20 years, not winning 20 races this year. Yeah. So I really hope I don't hear anyone say that they're starting to do the Norwegian training method because first of all, you're not. You're not. Yeah. Like um, if you heard about it from us, you're not. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I, I do hope that people listen to this and think, you know, I do think I need to get some more low intensity volume. That is my takeaway. From add this. some hours to my week, yeah. you know. And I do think that, you know, when I do my sweet spot intervals, maybe I should bump down the intensity a little bit and do more of them mm-hmm. instead of trying to do as high intensity as I can and not doing as much and spending as much time at that really quality crucial zone to train at. Right. You know, and then maybe, maybe try it twice in a day and see rather than two times a week, do it one day, but do it twice in that day. And I think that's going to give you more time to, to get some volume in, to get some longer rides in. And it's basic takeaways. Yeah. Cause for me listening to this, I'm like, I need to do more long zone two rides. And you know, there's probably some parents listening to this where they're like, you know what? I, I never go hard. I ride a lot, but I just never like go hard. And you know what, for that, like, like a good first step, like throw in some intensity sometimes, do a race, do a day of intervals, you know, like I think most people are missing huge basic chunks of proper training and just like whatever we, we're basically, you're trying to just illustrate why you should throw them in because most of us are probably missing at least a few of these, right? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, hopefully that wasn't too, uh, too terrible, right? No, no. I feel bad we didn't really get into it until what, like 50 minutes in. But I know it um, could have been a really short podcast. One thing I did want to throw out. Um, this podcast has been going now for what, like a couple of years, basically what, a year and a half now? I don't remember. I don't either. A while. We've done a lot of these. Um, we've we've cycled through a lot of people in that time. We never know like the level of knowledge that people have. If you ever listen to a podcast. And you're like, I didn't understand any of that. There was a lot of technical language I didn't get at all. Like, let us know. Because I'm always kind of trying to feel out like, oh, this might be too. And you know, if, if, if you're listening and you're like, you guys were explaining stuff that I totally got. Like, you, we were going way too in-depth on basic things that I already knew. Let us, like, literally any feedback would be so helpful. Yeah, I worry that, like, I can just see Miles Baker, like, taking a nap right now. And... Right. Well, and, and I don't know if you guys know, like, I'm, I'm frequently, like, telling Dan, like, like hey, like, like let's, let's go back and explain that again. Because maybe people are listening for the first time and they have no idea what a lactic threshold is. And there's another, there's other people listening who are like, that's the first thing I ever learned. This is boring for you guys to explain that for 10 minutes. Um, if that would be, it, I think mostly for if, if there are people, if you ever hear an episode where there's just a lot of stuff you didn't get, let us know and we can revisit that stuff. Because ideally there's new people joining Maybird every year who may or may not know. So like any feedback oh, you guys have. And also like a lot of our topics have been like questions people have asked. So I love it when people ask me questions. I don't remember the last time someone asked us a question and we didn't do an episode on it. Of course, there's probably someone listening like, you never answered my question. But like, you know, or like with Hayden's thing, with like the Fear podcast, it took us a minute, but we got there. You know, it's like if there's stuff like, please, like this should be a two-way street. We don't want to just talk at you guys, you know, an hour and a half every week. How long have we talked? Too long.
uh, hour and 19 minutes, Ooh, that's but that was, one. but you know, we did like a mini lactate episode yeah, within this. So. I need to do a whole lactate episode. We do. But anyway, uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank, thank you for listening. Uh, give us any feedback that you, you know, you can think of, um, find a way to stay sane during this, uh, little recurrence of winter here. Stay healthy. Oh ride, my gosh. Ride your bike more. Ride your bike more. Stay healthy. That's Unless less. you're riding it too much, then ride it less. Most people aren't, but okay. you know, you know who you are or maybe you don't. Maybe that's why. Um, the last plug I have just stay healthy. I'm getting over a cold. I don't know if you could tell Dan's got a cold. Everyone's sick. Getting sick's bad for athletes. Do whatever you can to not get sick. Yeah. I'd rather you take a week off to go on a vacation than to take a week off to just be sick. Like, right. The vacation is going to be more beneficial at making you go faster than right, right, right. taking a week off. Right, right, right. If you get sick, get better as soon as you can. Don't train through it and have a two-month-long cold like I used to do. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let us know if you have any questions. Everybody ride safe this week, and we will uh, talk to you guys soon.